Hello and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I think the whole town wants to know, have you seen Arnold yet? Have I seen Arnold yet? Has there been any Arnold spotting in your life? <laughs> I don't, you know, I, uh, I, unless he was like at in National Indigenous Day on and on Tuesday at Riverside or the opening of the, the Grove food. Hub on campus. It, food basics. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the, the shopper's drug snacks? Yeah. <laughs> the shopper's drug market up the road from my house. It's it's pretty unlikely. Um, but I mean that's that's a hot spot. They shot Titans uh, at, at the OR oh. last mm-hmm. last year, and now Arnold is there for for the week. Um, and blindness, whenever that was, right? That was 12 years ago. <laughs> oh, boy. Once again, I feel like we're on a different show here off the top. Yeah, we are on a different show for a second. Anyway, this show is Open Sources, and it's CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. And you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from 12 Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. Uh, this week, we will air some sound that I recorded from the National Indigenous People's Day festivities at Riverside Park. So you're going to hear from the mayor, you're going to hear from our MPP, but you're also going to hear from an Inuit artist, an Ojibwe drummer, and a local Métis council leader. So that is going to be in the bottom half of the show. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the past week, including the end of another session at the House of Commons. Some people Many people are saying, uh, but some people are saying that maybe it's going to be Justin Trudeau's last and we are going to talk about the odds therein. But first, the Toronto Police Service released a report last week into uh, racial discrimination in the way police handle arrests and detentions. All of the data comes from 2020 and to almost exactly no one's surprise, it turns out that Black people in Toronto are disproportionately policed more harshly than white people um, and are even uh, policed a little bit more harshly than uh, people from of, of Latin descent or of Middle Eastern descent or Southeast Asian descent. So the question is, what is going to happen now? Is anything going to happen now? There was a pretty big deal with um, police chief James Rammer making a what seemed to be a heartfelt apology, but I have not heard any follow-up in the last week. And uh, I think the follow-up is going to be where the proverbial wheat is separated from the equally proverbial chaff. Yeah. Rammer, who's, I, I think he's acting chief, right? Yeah, I think so. His rap on the whole thing was, the wrap up was like, we will do better, but that is the great question. Of course, will they? And as you said, this report revealed what everyone knew that there's a disproportionate impact on the black community, like five times more likely use of force on them, twice as likely to have a gun drawn on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got to think about that because with Manassian back in the news, it's like, you know, had Manassian not, I'm surprised that Manassian wasn't shot. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. It, it He was even you know, pretending to hold a gun. And there are lots of um, excuses that the police use of people holding certain objects that they use. 
mm-hmm. shoot them. Uh, but anyway, that's a bit of an aside. But anyway, so yeah, <laughs> so use of force, but also like with stops and tickets, the 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 classic up against the car. So you're gonna, if you are driving while black, you're more likely to get a ticket, stop to the tail light, the uh, what have you, right? But that's so part. Part of the issue of this, and I'm sure you saw it, Adam, with the uh, uh, Professor Bain, Beverly Bain from U of T, yeah, sort of taking over the press conference, and that you know that was that that is of course the kind of moment that's that's needed in this, saying that you know that's the and that's the line that came out of we don't accept your apology because mm-hmm. as Desmond Cole, who was also at the uh, press press conference or presser afterwards, was like you know this as he called it, the bank, this bankrupt process isn't going to cut it. So it's like you, you go through this and say, here are the numbers. We're sorry. We're going to do better, but without presenting the do better plan or the plan to do better. Right. It doesn't really mean anything. It's data. It does mean something, of course, statistically and whatnot, but there's no, um, there's, there's nothing to back it. You just say, well, we, you know, I, I, I think there's been, maybe not as, as in-depth studies in the past, but mm-hmm. we've heard these things in the past and like, okay, we'll do better. Like, well, how? And the solutions is always that what we, they'll be like, well, we need more resources and we need more police and we need more of this and more of that. It's, it's, the, it's probably the only organization where that seems to be the solution mm-hmm. rather than what, what can we do internally to change this? Like, well, we need more. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the solution. Right. It's it's notable that this I mean, this harsh report came from the police itself and it was kind of presented words and all. Um, And I think that is laudable. Um, But, you know, none of the conclusions herein. I mean, for years, black people in Toronto have been saying, like, we are policed more harshly. And it turns out uh, statistically, yes. When you, when you when you dig deep into the statistics, it's like, oh yes, you are. Especially outside of, um, there was one graph I saw where it showed um, the number of white people in Toronto to the number of black people there are in Toronto. And then the next graph over is like the number of times a gun is pulled on a white suspect versus the number of times a gun is pulled on a black suspect. And it's like the reverse. It's like the mirror image. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's not the only thing, too. I mean, there, there are different kinds of violence, too. One of the things that really got me about this report, uh, 22% of all arrests involved a strip search. Like, that seems like one out of five. That seems like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, there I mean, there have been changes to, um, you know, you need now, you now need to like a supervisor to write off on it if you were to give someone a strip search. So I guess these are good things, but like as early as 20, as recently as 2020, we're talking about one in five arrests. Um, 31% of those, um, you know, were directly uh, people who they were black or believed to be black. So again, here's another example of of you know police treatment and that doesn't necessarily involve the violence of a gun drawn or excessive force used but being taken into custody and told to strip and and then to have a a police officer inspect you to make sure that you know you don't have anything hidden on you um that that is another i mean it's it's invasive and um it probably in nine out of ten of the cases probably grossly unnecessary it it, it seems like one of those things it, it, it seems like one of those old fashiony things you know from 
from the early 20th century when policing was all about brute force and um, cracking skulls. It, it, it just seems like a relic of another era, the whole idea of, you know, strip searching people. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes it systemic. Yeah. People don't like that word being used, but if yeah. it's been the system for that long. Yeah. Cause I think that the report was saying that indigenous people in particular, yeah, they default to that. Well, why? Yeah. Why, why is that the case? If everybody that comes in, why is it the case that you lean towards that with indigenous people? And it brings back shades of residential schools and, and all of that. It's like, it's the kind of thing like, well, structurally, we've been doing that since the beginning. So we just do it. Yeah. This person strips them. Black person, pull them over. Find an excuse. Just pull them over. Well, they're driving, you know, they might, they're driving a flash car or something. Okay. Well, they, it must be stolen. You know, there's, they, there's these steps that are built in that they somehow make up their mind uh, that, that this is what to do. But also there was another, I don't know if you saw that other report that came out, Adam, uh, I think it was done by Deloitte. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they were released concurrently, but this this has come out, may have been released a little bit earlier, but it's coming out now uh, in the wake of this report, talking about the internal problems that the police have. Mm-hmm. A hierarchy of harassment. And, you know, if you don't tow the thin blue line, if you don't come drinking with us after work, uh, you get, you know, right. sidelined sexual harassment and discrimination. I mean, and if that, that kind of attitude doesn't bleed into the community work, I'd be really surprised, right? Right. So, and there- you know, what, what is your attitude to the public if this is what you're doing with the people that you, your colleagues, right? The people that you have certain colleagues. And again, there's, yeah, those certain colleagues fall into the categories that are getting systemic discrimination out in the community as well. So it's, it's all connected. Yeah. All of this is connected. Yeah. But we're sorry. Oh, we're sorry. We're going to do better. Are you? Well, are you? I, I mean, it's, I mean, that it starts with having some sort of idea of, of how to be better. And um, there was a professor of sociology from the U of Alberta. Um, and I hope I pronounced their name right. Uh, Timotope Oriola. Um who, you know, lists a bunch of things that, you know, lead to um, these systemic issues in policing. One of them was um, the recruitment and, and the, the HR policies around officers, like 10%, less than 10% of uniformed police personnel um, make up the complaints of a, a excessive force. Yet um, that, you know, small one out of 10 officers gets the full and complete protection of the police union. Um, They called it a protectionist ring uh, around incorrigible officers. Um, And it's all based around, um, you know, police unions, uh, you know, walls of silence, hyper masculinity, all of this stuff. And we even saw that here in Guelph a couple of weeks or last week, I think it was last week, uh, the lawyer for Corey MacArthur, who is um, in the middle of a, or he's waiting to hear what the results of the dis- dis- disciplinary committee is going to be, and he's likely going to be let go from the police service. But his lawyer said, "Well, he can be like a great example to other uniformed police officers about uh, 
you know, the effects of PTSD. And it's like, well, come on, he thrashed a kid in the emergency room um, is, you know, if I thrash somebody to death, um, <laughs> I would in any other walk of life, you'd be fired. But in this situation, you have the lawyer making the argument. Well, no, like he, he you know, he can still work and be an example to everybody about the effects of PTSD. I mean, when you when you see stuff like that, it makes it that little much harder to trust the nine out of 10 police officers who go to work every day, try their best, wear their uniform with pride and and do try to be an asset to the community. Well, remember, the police assassinated somebody in the ER. Yeah. In the emergency ward. That's right. Guelph, right. So. Yeah. Uh, and any of the times I've been in there, and as people that know me know that I was for a while in there a lot, always, always, always lots of police mm-hmm. handling very minor things, right? I guess that's a bit of an aside, but part of the problem too, from what years, like if I understand right, that cop was off for years yeah. with full pay, right? He's, yeah. just, he's on administrative leave, so you just get full pay. And yeah. there are police out there that repeat the same actions over and over again, they're not addressed and they keep doing it. That's a fact, mm-hmm. right? So rather than if it's particularly egregious, like this guy, there you have it. Like, you know, the, the wheels are turning, but it's, it's still slow. And like you say, there's this, these protections built in, which are, and, you know, I, I hate saying police union because I don't really see them as a union. It's an association, right? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's a topic for another day as well, but it's, <laughs> it's it's true though um and and you know people who know about trying to affect change from the inside um michael thompson who is the deputy mayor of toronto also paradoxically the only black city councillor on toronto city council um he the talked, only one yeah i mean remember uh oh he's cut back yeah 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 they lost 20 back in 2018 for some reason yeah. So, some guy thought Toronto City Council was too big and made it his immediate priority to cut it. I don't know. Um, more on that next week, kids. But the uh, the uh, uh, <laughs> he, Michael Thompson, uh, to get back to what we were talking about, was saying like he, he was the chair of the police board at one point. And he's you know he went in with a bunch of ideas like let's reform this thing, let's think get things going. But systems are remarkably resilient to people who try to change them unless there is widespread agreement in the system that change needs to be done. And this is a thing that police have confronted for years, which is why Barbara Bain like, was like, well, I don't accept, or Beverly Bain, excuse me, mm-hmm. um, said, you know, well, we don't accept your apology because every time somebody's tried to go in there and say like, hey, Toronto police, you kind of have to change the way you do business. Police have said, eh, no, we don't. We're going to keep doing it exactly the same. So, you know, if you have somebody like Michael Thompson who has tried to work within the system and say, uh, no, the system isn't working um, or, you know, it, it's, it has been resistant to change in the past. Uh, the, the onus is on police now to step up and to, and to prove that, you know, their apologies are not just hollow because um, I, I think one thing the report does, the, the report isn't an ending. And I think there's always a thing that, you know, uh, they want the report to be an ending, but I think for a lot of people in Toronto, a lot of activists in the community, this is going to be the beginning of something, and uh, they, they are not going to be able to sort of let that go just to, just easily with an apology. Yeah. So again, 
uh, ongoing, right? This yes, <laughs> we'll probably talk about. We'll definitely be talking about this again and again. Yeah, it's a municipal election year, so maybe this will come back up again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this bit from Don Martin, who's a political pundit. He used to be a political host on CTV News. We'll see how it feels. Um, he said of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he's too woke, too precious, preachy in tone, exceedingly smug, lacking in leadership, fading in celebrity, slow to act, short-sighted in vision, and generally getting more irritating with every breathlessly whispered public pronouncement. And uh, I got to say, you know, this is news. Uh, But no, seriously, uh, this is... uh, this It's been quite the pile on this week, and National posted a roundup of it. So, like, from, uh, you know, Chantal Hébert to um you know tom Mulcair, who has you know i i don't take i don't take much punditry from tom Mulcair seriously considering uh he probably has justin true he's probably on his 22nd picture of justin trudeau on his dartboard but uh there is quite the chorus line out there suggesting that uh trudeau's end as party leader is nigh and just coincidentally this happens to be the last week that um that parliament is sitting. So uh, the question is when we're talking about parliament next summer, you know, is uh, Justin Trudeau still the prime minister? Yeah. And it's not like we haven't heard this before mm-hmm. in the wake of the, well, when was SNC Lavalin? seems like a long time ago. It wasn't that long ago. What was that? 2019 at least. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, then it was like, Oh, is Trudeau done? It, it comes up every, <laughs> it comes up every few months <laughs> and it comes in a wave. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the you know, the media or whatever trying to harness what they what they are feeling or mm. whether it is actually what's going to happen, right? And mm-hmm. there was, I'm thinking a little bit back to where it's like, is Christian Freeland going to replace Trudeau? Like mm-hmm. this just keeps coming up over and over. But of course, they're all forgetting how the system works and also the fact that uh, you know the the name Trudeau still carries a lot of weight, right? Uh, and and both ends of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, pro and con, right? It's always, yeah. it's so he's you know he survived this long uh, as to, as to whether this is this the, the strong hinting that oh you know he should probably go before the next election and because there was there's always you know the Brian Lilly types he should just resign <laughs> yeah and you know half the conservatives and every every convoy member. They're coming back to yell at empty Parliament Hill. It sounds like this very minute or whatever, even though gas is really high, uh, who will, you know, call call for his head, the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if some of that that's coming from the convoy is driving this other sudden, you know, I would take, I would trust anything Chantal Bear had to say over Brian Lilly or anybody in the convoy, right? Or, or Mulcair. So her, her response is, is measured and how are 30 plus years in politics. It's like, okay, she's on to something. Um, well, but- you're right. You're right about this coming and going in waves. Cause you turn on the news now and it's, it's not even necessarily like bad political news, except it's sort of everything's political now, but you turn on the TV. It's like, what are they talking about? Long line ups at the airport, uh, inflation up 7.7%. Uh, you know, gas over $2, uh, grocery bills going up like, uh, you know, the, the dairy producers announced that the price of milk is going up in the fall. Hmm. Um, long lines up at 
passport offices. I mean, this is something I wish uh, we would get a bit more context on. It's like, you know, I thought inflation had made us a, a nation of coup- extreme couponers. So like, how are all these people like lining up all day at the passport office and then going to the airport and lining up all day to get on a plane? It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. No, uh, but uh, leaving that aside, you know, it's, it's just it we're kind of seeing the same thing happen to Joe Biden south of the border. And what it is, is, you know, we, we have these silos. It's we have global issues. Um, you can't put it all on Vladimir Putin, but, you know, he does own a piece of it. But, you know, we have these global in- inflationary pressures. You know, here's I heard a thing on the news today. You know, the UK is expected to hit 11 percent inflation. In the oh, fall. yeah. And like said, so, like they're going to hit hot worse than inflation than we are. Um it's strange i mean maybe i don't live in england so maybe boris is getting hit with uh maybe some maybe somebody in in labor is talking about boris inflation or something but it just you know there there are these international pressures that um are hard for individual leaders to shake um but you can't ignore them either because they are uh, you know affecting people on a daily basis so i i just wonder if we're just like in this grumble period with you know just one one national leader can't change uh can't change the the, the record on the on the jukebox so that we just kind of have to grind our teeth because even if it's a, a song that we hate with incredible passion so i'm not sure that metaphor works but There's a few of those yeah <laughs> but something that he could do because mm. it, it obviously doesn't all rest on trudeau but if the rage all of that has to go somewhere mm-hmm and what he isn't doing a very good job at, in my opinion, is addressing it. Yeah. Like even even Biden with his, you know, let's suspend the gas tax for three months. At least that's something. I, he's, he's, yeah. at, he's at record low as well. But at least, and that's that's almost, you know, that's something that the, the conservatives would do here. So that's probably why um, Trudeau isn't addressing that directly it all has to be you know the, his approach is that it's all very structured and it's all very uh and then get COVID again um <laughs> and this again the c word is the great unsaid a lot of this is being driven by COVID, right mm-hmm. whether it's not enough people at the airport not enough people at the passport office like what so what happened with the passport office that it is so bad now mm-hmm. they'll always tell you for tell you for years and years and years make sure you prepare in tons of time to get your paperwork to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I saw that one story about the woman waiting in the line every day for four days from noon till night, till it closed to try and get in. And that's like, I'm supposed to be going to Paris be like, okay, is this, is this really our biggest concern? Or in Montreal, it was like a fight or something, right? I didn't see the right. whole story, but it's like, and I'm almost, I was feeling sorry for Algaba, right? That he has to get, you know, we're, we're doing our best. We're doing what we can. Everything is hitting at once, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, From all sides. And, and it's the same could be said about the, the, the more broader economic pressures, things like housing, things like wages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of, all of that's kind of been being pushed to the cliff right now. We're heading that way. And I think there's a big question about how much uh, maybe COVID um, pushed those things even further to the edge. But I mean, we have, you know, 99 problems and um, Trudeau, I would never say he's been 
particularly a problem solver. He's been like a problem identifier and a problem passer on like things like legalizing marijuana fell largely in the laps of provinces in terms of how they were going to administer that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Trudeau does really good when it comes to like naming uh, an indigenous person as uh, governor general as a, as a positive sign of reconciliation does slightly less good when it comes to like things like ending boiled water advisories and um, you know, getting, you know, improving indigenous housing and things like that. I mean, small advancements are made, of course, but um, it, it's just, it, it strikes me that he's just had an, the incredible bad luck. And then I was talking about this with somebody at the, the National Indigenous Day festivities the other day that, you know, you have to come to Trudeau's defense as well because you get all these um, Trudeau people or these, you know, Trudeau people or, you know, who, who just like hate him because uh, he is the scion of the devil or Castro or whatever. He's the source of all our problems and he's really not. But, you know, people are coming at, at it with such specious reasons and conspiracy theories and things. You, you, also have to take precious time out of your perhaps legitimate complaints and criticisms of Trudeau uh, to to rise to his defense. And I mean, that all that does is sort of keep us in place because you have to <laughs> you have to defend Trudeau from the spurious stuff while also trying to get him to move on the slightly more legitimate stuff. Well, and, and still a minority, too. Right. True, so true. This it, it could fall. I've, I've ne- I haven't heard honestly in the times that I've seen Singh, who's supposed to have this arrangement, mm-hmm. he hasn't said anything positive. You know, the government needs to this, the government needs to that. And then I'm thinking in the back of my head, you know, with your arrangement, you are actually part of the government and supporting them. Like you're not the opposition. Aren't you? Are, aren't you the guy with the finger in the dam? <laughs> yeah. What was it today? Showed up with with Junior into into Parliament, which is. Mm-hmm. Has only started happening recently, but you know, I don't normally at all agree with conservatives, but there was a bit of prop going on there. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. are you going to do for mice? Is it a son? I'm not even sure. Like, that's how much attention and pay to that, but it's just, it just seems like that. And then, but then, of course, you know, from the, I'm not, this isn't my perspective, the conservative perspective, but everything's like, even to the simplest thing, like the hybrid sitting, they want that to continue. The, conservatives like no you should show you should show up and you should do your job and you know Mm -hmm. you should get COVID again right but (laughs) well i I think there's nice enough i don't know is trudeau gonna start feeling it or we're gonna start feeling when we've had you know covid nine or what yeah no right yeah they don't know either now i think to be fair the conservatives said well you know if things are worse in the fall we should we should consider it but considering how fast the masks are being ripped off yeah and the convoys coming, dun dun dun. Yeah, so I, I think they'll bring that's... lots of COVID with them back to Ottawa and, and garbage and the usual. <laughs> All right, sounds like a great place to leave it. We will take a quick break <laughs> and come back with uh, some sounds from the National Indigenous Peoples Day festivities in Riverside Park. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Yaga, 
was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 McDonnell in the downtown. That was Willie Thrasher. Someone who was sent to residential school at the age of five and was there until he was 16 years old. Reported to be the person that brought rock and roll to the north of Canada. The song was called Spirit Child. Mm-hmm. It's a good track. Yeah, yeah, that whole... It's... Uh, but the title is just escaping native North America volume one still waiting for volume two. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope it comes out. It's like, it's one of my favorite albums. Yeah. It's good. I think we've working <laughs> progressively working our way through it. Yeah. We've been we've, a couple it's, of times a year. We get a cut on, on the show. It's uh, like a piece, not quite enough women representing in it, but yeah, maybe for the next one. Well, maybe that's what's they're keeping up volume two. Anyway. Um, the National Indigenous Peoples Day was June 21st, summer solstice, and there was an event at Riverside Park here in Guelph. So I went with my handy dandy recorder to get some sound. So you're going to hear the, the beginning of the, the ceremony at the uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the recording, uh, oddly enough, uh, but also intersp- interspersed between uh, there's some sound from Mayor Cam Guthrie and MPP. XP, uh, Mike Schreiner, as well as I talked to Jennifer Parkinson, the president of the Grand River Métis Council. I talked to, as well, uh, Ame Papatsi, who is an Inuit artist. Um, he does a lot of really great work, a lot of um, sort of landscapes and wildlife that he remembers from his youth in uh, Nunavut. And there was also an interview I did with a drum maker. He's a drummer, a drum maker. He also makes a lot of cool leather goods like um, po- pouches and, and satchels and things like that. His name is uh, John Samosi. He's uh, Ojibwe. So uh, it was a lot of fun. So I'm mm-hmm. going to hit uh, play on uh, this uh, sampling of all the, the sights and sounds. Well, sounds. It's radio. Randy. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> anyway, I'll just hit play. I'll hit play on National People's Day here in National Indigenous Peoples Day here in Guelph. Wachi, Ani, Sego, Tansi, Bonjour. Umakere Kumis Tishnukas Makwadonam. My name is, uh, my English name is Lois McDonald, and um, I've been you know, uh, resident in Guelph and also now in Cambridge for the last 20 some odd years since we moved down from Northwestern Ontario. And so part of, I guess, my journey and and what I'm here to do is to welcome everybody. And so with that, I'm going to open this up with a, um, it's kind of like a prayer, but it's thanking everything around us as uh, that's what the, uh, our Jam Nadeau, our creator, had uh, asked us to do is to always remember and thank everything that is, uh, is around us, that feeds us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And everything around us has never forgotten the original instruction to look after us. It's just two leggeds that forgot. So I'm going to open it up with uh, with that. So, Bonjour, Michelle, Misnokamis, Jamnado, Umakade, Kumis, Tishnikaz, Makwadotam. I say, Chimi, Grat, Jamnado, for this day and the gift of life you have given us all. And so, just to kind of come full circle, we're going to sing uh, the uh, welcome song. And so this song is uh, a Mi'kmaq welcome song and the whole community, the Mi'kmaq people, when they had visitors, they would walk out and they would meet all of their guests 
the whole community would stand on both sides of the path going into their community and they would sing the song and they would welcome everybody. And when they were there, they would be treated with the utmost respect, honor, and given the best of everything so that when their visitors went back to their communities, they would let them know how well they were treated by the, um, by the Mi'kmaq people. Because it doesn't matter what community we come from, if somebody's treated with disrespect or not treated well at all, everybody knows. So they know they will never go back there. So it kind of you know, goes not only with the Indigenous community, but with any community at all. So when we have our visitors, we want to treat them re respectfully. And I ask um, that we just, uh, you know, just remember, okay? Uh-huh, Chimigwetch. Maybe we can start with your name. Okay. My name is, um, I'll introduce myself traditionally, Ani Megazay Desnikaj Wawash Dorem. And it's uh, in English, I said, hello, eagle is my name, and the deer is my dotem, is my helper. So you, you know, help me out. I, I should call you eagle? Um, when we're in ceremony, you can call me eagle. When we're out of ceremony, you can call me John. John, okay, Yeah, perfect. my name's John Samosi. John Samosi, yeah. thank you. Um, but this is great. We're learning, or I'm learning. Well, this is what it's all about, right? Yeah. This is what Aboriginal Day is. It's like we're doing outreach. Uh, I've done education programs for the school board system for over 22 years. Um, it's all about sharing information. And from the looks of it, you are uh, a leathersmith, so to speak. Uh, I'm a leathersmith. I'm a drum maker. I'm a drummer. I'm a whole bunch of things. <laughs> so how did you get into the craft? Um... I was doing lots of fasting with the Ojibwe up at Cape Croker and we fasted twice a year mm -hmm. and we had to do a giveaway mm -hmm. and as a young man I didn't have a job and so I as I was traveling around North America different people would teach me how to make different things mm -hmm. so this is about you know 15 years of education from different artisans from around North America so the giveaway is part of the the fasting it's a yeah it's it's the the people supported you while you were fasting so it's it's a it's a way of giving back mm -hmm. so yeah so these these are skills that, that you pick up along the way yeah and and so in terms of like creating a drum what what's that process Hmm. <laughs> okay, so you, you soak a hide and yeah. you take a look at the thickness and then uh, through a lot of... So I've been making drums for 32 years, so you know basically what it'll kind of sound like for the different size hoops. Really? So a really thick hide, you need like the bigger drum frames because they resonate and they resonate at a much deeper pitch. Mm -hmm. And then the thinner, thinner ones are good for the little ones like the 10 or the 12 inch drums. But you, you, you make the drum out of different parts of the hide so each drum is like a snowflake. It sounds different. Right. And then how people pick them is they 
try all of them and the the one that resonates with their own uh, vibration that's the one they pick so someone doesn't come to you and say I want a, a deep sounding drum they have to sort of come to you as I guess as an open book to, to find the drum that is going to mean something to them that's the best way of doing it absolutely and is that their drum for for life or is it is it is it the drum they have until i mean all things give out yeah yeah all things give out and when i make a drum it's from a green skin so as the drum ages it'll change the pitch and tone Mm -hmm. and so hopefully as the people learn how to sing their their singing style will change right over time so the drum and the singer will will develop over time interesting but what about what what if the singing and the drumming develop in such a way that they go apart yeah then they get a different drum then they get a different yeah. drum <laughs> it's not uncommon for people to have like three or four different sizes of drums mm-hmm. and and it depends like um, like for me I need a, a thick frame with a thick hide because I have an incredibly loud voice that carries like crazy and so I need a really good supportive drum like that uh, I, I when I travel in Europe a few years ago I was using um, the 12-inch drums because they fit in my backpack <laughs> and so they were perfect for traveling when I went to when I went to um, Australia and New Zealand that's we brought 12s okay so I'm, I'm doing more um, and you don't put the drums in checked luggage <laughs> no but we did have to get them fumigated in Australia so it was great yeah yeah, it's all a whole bunch of stories. But but basically, every single drum's different. Every single person will try the drum, and then they'll go, ooh, that's the one. Really? It's like, like these people. They, they tried the drum, and then the tone told it that was the one. Interesting. Yeah. Is it possible that the drum tells you it's the one in the moment, and then you get it home, and then it's not the drum? That's a great question. I have no idea. I have no idea because I'm in the moment, right? Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, you've been kind of inundated here. I've walked back and forth a couple of times to see if I could, you know, get a couple of minutes with you. But um, I, I think there is something across cultures that, you know, banging their hands or, or, or a stick against a drum that that that's something that speaks to anyone no matter yeah, that's where universal from. yeah that's universal any percussion instrument around the world that's the basis and the basis of that beat is the heartbeat mm-hmm. so that's what you listened into your mother for nine months before you came out mm. so so you were born into that beat so you you heard it 24 hours a day as you were developing and th- <laughs> this is how people get attracted to these drums mm-hmm. it's a great thought yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. It's a good story. Atiya Ami, Sapanya Papatsi, Inulungan, Tumasiwisi. My name is Ami. Uh, English name, I guess. Or a friend name. My mother's best friend was French. And it's like, yay, Ami, Munami. My Inutitu name is Sapanya, means the sun in the sky. That's everybody up north, all they know me by. And then Papazzi is my grandfather's name, which we inherited from last name. Inuluta Wadni, Tumasi Titi Gumavangelishini, Atangiti Akta Inu Gatta, Awangatta Inu Yunga. 
Uh, on behalf of the unit, I want to welcome you all as, wow, I really feel honored you're maybe here and it's like awesome. So your name is Ame? Ame Papazzi. Uh, cultural name Tsukuna means the sun in the sky. The sun in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> then this is a good day for you. Oh yeah. So um, tell me about yourself. Um, you know, what, what part of Canada you're from and, and what what brings you here today? Um, I was born and raised in a little community called Painetong. That's in Baffin Island, Nunavut. Uh, we call it Panato. means the where the Bokeribus are. I born and raised there, learned how to do art, and um, moved down here in Toronto first, and then moved here with French artist community. And I do my art here. I uh, paint, carve, and draw, and lots of graphic designs and a little bit of animation. And because this is audio, people can't see Ame's um, amazing artwork. Um, are these scenes you remember uh, from from your childhood, or? Yeah, uh, all of them are created right from my memory. Um, I I don't remember numbers or words, but I remember images. Uh, um, it's how I grew up with my parents and how I grew up with seeing the animals, the mountains. Yeah. What I promote. So, so you are, are you primarily inspired by by you know your, your memories from up north and you know seeing these scenes of polar bears and people fishing and the northern lights? Um. Yeah, that too. But along with my clients who were friends that had experienced the, what I've seen, and whenever they're talking about it, it's like, hey, I'm inspired to do that, and then bang, somebody else done it too. And so, yeah, like. Um, it's also seasonal too. Right. And whatever the season is there, it's like it just go along with the flow with the clients or families and friends. Are you, are you self-taught? Uh, not, well, yeah, and that. Uh, a group of seven used to take on, my grandmother was well known, so she, she used to take on the group of seven. And a lot of famous painters used to go up there, and pretty much how I learned English, being translator and watching them grind just like yeah i picked it up from various artists so you what you're saying is you learn from the masters <laughs> I, i'm not sure yeah uh, i was originally left-handed right and then kindergarten and then i learned right-handed and then by the time i was grade seven i started doing both handed and that's how i draw them i do portraits of people with both hands and a lot of times I'll paint these with both hands, like most, most of the time sideways. So I am standing here with uh, Mike Schreiner. Mike, what are your thoughts uh, standing here in Riverside Park on uh, Indigenous History Day? I think today's a day to uh, celebrate Indigenous art, culture, history, uh, contributions. Uh, but it's also a day to, re to reflect on the fact that we're all treaty people and that we need to honor those treaties, whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. Uh, not to get into politics, but we will. Uh, new cabinet is being sworn in f well, by the time people are hearing this tomorrow, but uh, this coming Friday. Um, 
Specifically on the indigenous file, uh, what are you hoping to see from the Ford government coming out of uh, this election on, on indigenous issues? Well, first of all, I, th- I want to see a minister completely dedicated uh, to indigenous issues. Uh, that's something the chiefs of Ontario have been asking for. Um, it's a bit of a conflict of interest, quite frankly, to have the Minister of Northern Development and Mines also be the Minister of Indigenous Affairs. And so separating those out and having a standalone minister, I think, will send an important signal. And just generally in terms of, you know, how you want to um, work harder for your, you know, there are Indigenous people who live in Mm -hmm. Guelph, First Nations people, Métis people. Um, You know, how do you want to work harder for them to make sure that, you know, their thoughts and feelings and opinions are better recognized when you're going about your daily work at Queen's Park? Well, you know what? I uh, listen and act. And so actually some of the amendments I've gotten through past at committee actually have been brought forward uh, by Indigenous peoples, particularly around protecting treaty rights. And so I'm going to continue to do that kind of work at Queen's Park uh, to make sure that, you know, we incorporate uh, Indigenous rights, Indigenous laws and Indigenous interests in the work I do at Queen's Park. So Jennifer, could you, we just start off by talking about your 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 formal position is is uh, with the the Métis community. I'm I'm a president of the Grand River Métis Council, uh, chartered council to the Métis Nation of Ontario. Mm-hmm. So for people who may not know, or, you know what distinguishes someone who is Métis from someone who is First Nation from someone who is Inuit, um, could you? Uh, Explain. <laughs> I will try because it's not a simple answer. Right. We are not just mixed. Yes, we have First Nations ancestry and European ancestry. However, we have a historic ancestral connection to a historic Metis community. And our communities arose in the late 1700s. And it was like three groups of Metis uh, mixed. That They weren't Metis at that time. That mixed that came together and decided to form their own nation with their own unique culture and language. Mm-hmm. And their communities were all along the waterways and the rivers. And so we have to ancestrally connect to those original families and communities. Mm-hmm. Those are the Métis people. And our, we were not called Métis. Right. It was the French that called us Métis in the 1800s. We called ourselves Michif or Optimowiskowak, which means people that rule themselves. Aha. No, I like that. Um, but you were discussing you you do not know your own language and that is that is not an uncommon barrier so you know all indigenous people are are, many indigenous people are connected with this this barrier that they are not in in touch with their own history their own past their own language their own culture i didn't even know i was metis until i was 38 wow and my children were in high school at the time we knew we had some kind of um indigenous ancestry we did not know what and my grandmother wouldn't admit it and it went on until we had enough proof to prove we were Métis did she finally admit we were Métis. Mm-hmm. She was afraid. We were hunted. Right. Our people, after they hung Louis Riel, we were declared to be traitors, just like Louis Riel. And we were hunted. And so our people hid. They hid in plain sight, the ones that could. And so they were afraid to speak their language. So Michif is a dying language, and I'm trying to learn one of the dialects for my grandchildren. They call me Nokum, which means grandmother. And they would come home. I was going to ask that, um, you know, you're talking about 
your grandmother trying to hide this heritage from you and I imagine it's it's kind of the reverse now you're trying to share this heritage with your grandchildren oh yes uh, my my husband was gifted with the teachings uh, of a fire keeper and as soon as our grandchildren were born he would take them to the fire and we've had them at events and taught them about our flag my grandson when he went to ki- junior kindergarten walked in the school and said well where's our flag <laughs> because it wasn't there right and our flag was first seen in 1816. It's the first flag to come out of the land that would become Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, our, our my grandchildren recognize the flag, jigging starts, they start jigging, they have sashes, they know what it means, and, and they're proud to be Métis, and that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Métis Nation has a pretty big presence here, so um, how important is, is events like this to helping you reclaim your culture and, and you know, introducing it to new people. It's very important. We get a chance to talk to people and discuss our history and the more education out there and understanding, that's reconciliation. Learning the truth and understanding the truth. And once we do that, we can then walk together. And, you know, uh, you know, we have made, I've made so many friends. Um, I have Inuit family on my dad's side. <laughs> and so I've made so many friends with the Inuit community, the First Nations community, you know, and it's wonderful because historically we were all friends. We were relatives in some cases, but we all worked together. Yes, there were differences. There's no community that doesn't have differences, right? So these, this is important to get our, our, our culture out there and the understanding. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, you've had experience with this, but for, for, I imagine there are a lot of people out there who may have heard something from a relative or, um, know, or you know, maybe a relative has admitted something and they don't know where to begin. So, you know, for people who may have Métis ancestry or Indigenous ancestry, how can people start, you know, finding out about themselves? Through historic documents. Uh, for Métis, you have to connect yourself to every generation going back till you come to a historic community. Fortunately, the French kept good records, Hudson's Bay kept good records, so there's a lot of records out there. Métis Nation of Ontario on their own website has a lot of resources. It has some root families that for the Ontario Métis um, historic communities, and um, there's Saint, for the Western, if you connect to the West, there's St. Boniface Society that does research. There's a lot of resources out there to start that research. Well, thank you very much. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Cam Guthrie. I'm the mayor for the city of Guelph. And I just want to welcome everyone uh, to Indigenous Peoples Day. And thank you so much for coming uh, to a wonderful gathering here that we have. And, and I was asked today to bring that uh, territorial acknowledgement here today. Uh, just before I give that, though, I just wanted to give a little bit of an explanation of what I'm about to read. And so the first sentence provides the context that the history does not start at the point of European contact. It begins long before and continues to this present day. And the second sentence refers to the role and responsibility of the city as present day stewards of the public land and natural resources. And the third sentence recognizes that today the people of Guelph reside on the traditional territory 
of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, of the Anishabek peoples from whom this land was purchased by the British in 1784 as Upper Canada Treaty Number no. 3, 1792. And so with that kind of context, this is now the land acknowledgement. As we gather, we are reminded that Guelph is situated on treaty land that is steeped in rich Indigenous history and home to many First Nations, Inuit and Métis people today. As a city, we have a responsibility for the stewardship of the land on which we both live and work. And today we acknowledge the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation of the Anishabek peoples on whose traditional territory we are meeting. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of the evening. All right, so that was National Indigenous Peoples Day. Got it right that time uh, down in Riverside Park. And uh, it was nice to to see people out and about and uh, see the, the dancing and the drumming and uh, and uh, Ame's very awesome art. And um, Ame, I believe, I didn't look this up in advance, but he does appear at Hope House on the weekend. So check out the Hope House website. And then uh, see when Ame's there and then go check out his art because he has some really great art. And I wish I still carried cash because I would have bought some. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, It sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a good time. And I know Scotty is still agoraphobic for COVID reasons. So I, I tried oh, yeah. not to try not to rub it in your face. You so. might see me on Labor Day. I hope the band shell's done. The band shell's obviously still under construction, right? But the, the band shell, I wouldn't say it's under construction. I would say it. There's stuff happening there, <laughs> but I wouldn't say it's under construction yet. Hopefully, maybe by Labor Day, we'll see. Uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us at our website, you can find us at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to this show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app, such as Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all the details on the fantastic shows, including this one on this station, <laughs> check out cfru.ca slash shows. And stay tuned for some more great shows here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back here Thursday at 5 p.m. next week for our great show. And we will see you then.